Next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. After this message. Now that doctors and patients have discovered the many benefits of hemp-derived CBD, Alpine Miracle's Nano Emulsion CBD formula is one of the most bioavailable on the market today. It's 100% THC-free, so you can order it online anywhere in the U.S. Order yours today at alpinemiracle.com. Scientists are just beginning to understand its essential role in maintaining optimal health. Get yours today. Use the code REPORTER and receive 10% off. Don't wait. Get it now at alpinemiracle.com. And now, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter radio show. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, and we have a very special show lined up in honor of veterans who find healing through cannabis therapy. It was devastating to learn that yet another veteran took his own life outside of the VA building in Missouri last week. And a month before Veterans Day last year, we reported on a similar incident, which took place outside of the Veterans Administration building in Phoenix, Arizona. Hearing news like that just makes my heart hurt, especially since suicide is preventable, and there is never any good reason why any veteran at all should ever reach the point of wanting to end his or her own life. Unfortunately, it is widely reported that veteran suicide occurs 22 times a day on average. Cannabis is helping veterans cope with the debilitating effects of PTSD, and it's also helping veterans transition off the dangerous drugs, including anti-anxiety meds, antipsychotics, and opiates, which only exacerbate thoughts of suicide. Unfortunately, cannabis is not available for veterans suffering with PTSD in states like Missouri, which haven't fully adopted cannabis regulation. Our guest today is one who knows this problem all too well. His name is Leo Bridgewater. He's a retired Army specialist and veteran of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars who lives in the state of New Jersey, which only recently adopted medical marijuana regulation. Leo became one of three veterans who testified at New Jersey's State House, and his activism actually led to the addition of PTSD to the medical marijuana program in New Jersey. Welcome, Leo. I am so glad you're here. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So I want to hear all about your efforts at the State House, but first... I wonder if you could just give me a little bit of background on what happened when you actually were deployed to go to war and how that impacted you, especially after you uh, reintegrated back into civilian life. Mm. Okay, well, I, uh, I did my first tour in March of 2003. I uh, deployed with the 58th Maintenance Company out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina. So we got into theater um, in the first couple of days of, the, of when the uh, Iraqi War kicked off. And then, since, and then my last tour as a soldier was with the uh, NATO training mission in Iraq. And that's when I was working directly for then Lieutenant General David Petraeus and Admiral, full Admiral Mike Mullins. And so those tours of duty uh, is where, you know, the most uh, stuff, you know, really happened in terms of, you know, taking indirect fire, direct fire, um, seeing the, the worst that man can do to man. Um, at the time, you know, when you're in it, it's just a, a, a regular way of life taking in uh, mortar rounds and stuff like that. Uh, after a while, you just becomes a regular thing. And I also did a number of tours as a contractor once I separated from the military, being at Joint Base Balad and Camp Victory and Cherry Hill, the whole, our uh, Rustamaya, 
all these places were a hotbed of activity. And so, unfortunately, when you become accustomed to that type of, uh, you know, way of life over an extended period of time over and over again, you come back home and you kind of wrestle with the things that you were, you experienced. Sometimes it comes out and smells. Uh, you have to learn what your trigger points are, you know, um, and also what it looks like when you're, you know, for me, it comes out in rage. And it's, it's a task to have to control that rage. There are times where I had dreams where my, my wife and my son bleed into my dreams. And so I'm actually fighting even harder. It, it comes out like there's so many different ways, trigger points, where it can come out. And you have to learn to uh, control those things. Um, and cannabis is what's allowed me to be able to function. Uh, in a productive way. And um, given that, you know, everything that has happened uh, to not just me, but those whom I've served with, you know, it's it's a different kind of motivation, if you understand what I'm saying. Uh, A lot of us, you know, particularly from the activist side, got into this because either something happened to us or someone we love. And that's a, you know, that's a whole other you know, like I said, motivation, you know, um, it it can't be reasoned with, it can't be, well, it can be reasoned with, but it can't be bought. And if you're someone who's accustomed to being in an environment where it fosters success, which is what your veterans um, are accustomed to, you know, we know what success is. And, you know, the way we always obtain that success was together. No matter what, we always did it together because it was about the mission. And taking that same mind frame and applying it here to the activist side and also evolving into the business side, too, seeing where that's going, you know, um, I do realize that the future of this industry requires all of us to do this together. That's a really important point um, that I've noticed, though. There are a lot of groups that right now are really focused on veterans helping veterans. And I think that in numbers, there's certainly a lot more power in terms of reaching governmental bodies that need to hear the message or reaching the consumers that need to apply pressure to the governmental bodies. Uh, What's your feeling on that? Because I'm a veteran, and, and this is my experience, with, you know, I've traveled all over the state of New Jersey as we go trying to legislatively legalize cannabis, trying to educate people, because we understand that the consumer education is very, very important here. And in talking to folks, when you look at the current political and racial climate of this country, you know, particularly with today, uh, the general population tends to lean more towards the word of a veteran before a politician nowadays. And that's telling you something. And to me, what that means is that, you know, um, it's an indicator that, you know, we are lacking quality leadership. That's the problem. You know, we have a quality of leadership issue. And the thing about veterans is, like I said, we've known success and that has always been together because it's always been about the mission. That seems to resonate with folks because it's like a breath of fresh air. It, now, somebody's saying something, to be honest. And the thing is, is that the general population knows veterans will tell it all. We'll tell it. And that's what I've been doing. You know, we still conduct ourselves as if we're still in service to our country because we are. You know, if you think about it as a taxpaying citizen, you pay for this. And so this, this, this adult male that is, you know, whose voice you're listening to, you pay for all of this. And I think that I offer much a much more better rate of return on investment than 22 veteran suicides a day, right? Oh, absolutely you do. And See what I'm saying? Yeah. And another thing that I heard you say recently is that the general public has a certain level of respect for veterans, whereas a, you know, your average cannabis activist who hasn't been in the military doesn't hold the same amount of weight 
and I know that mm-hmm. this this has helped you in your journey. And just just for yes, a little, it has. yeah, and just for a little bit more background. I mean, when you got back, PTSD was certainly not uh, well. First of all, New Jersey hadn't yet passed its medical marijuana legislation yet. Isn't that correct? And then, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it wasn't even um, one of the qualifying conditions when I enrolled into the New Jersey medical marijuana program, and. Uh, quite honestly, it wasn't even something that was being seriously considered. Now, here's the thing. You know, God has a way of working in mysterious ways. Around the time when we were going through the fight and everything, you'll remember at that time for us, what you were going through was that was during a time when Chris Christie um, had just bowed out of the race for president and, and just jumped on the coattails of Donald Trump. Remember that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. See. When that went down, that's what our bill was just around that time. Our bill had just made it through the Senate committee. We were testifying and all that stuff. That's when that was going down. Now, here's the thing. At the time, then-candidate Trump was big on, on supporting the veterans and whatnot. So if you're Chris Christie and you're, you want to be vice president then or however you were trying to get on Donald Trump's team, you don't want to be not helping the veterans out. With PTSD, right? That was think of, like all of that is what was going on. No one really talked about it like that except me, right? Because I saw it. I I kept saying it. Wait a minute, hold up. This is going to go through because you have to understand. At that time, a lot of people, a lot of different organizations, kept telling me no. They didn't think it was going to happen. First, they didn't say they said they didn't think it was going to get through committee. And then when it got through committee, then a lot of people was like, oh, he won't sign it. My man waited to the last day to sign it. Yeah. He waited to the Chris, he waited to the very last day. But understand, at that time, you know, he had just jumped on Donald Trump's coattails. And mind you, Donald was in New York. So it would have came back real quick. You got that bridge gate thing was just popping off. It wouldn't have been a good look. And I kept telling folks, like, he's going to sign this, especially, and mind you, 22 veteran suicides a day was a brand new number at that time. We just heard it. Right. Because remember, they couldn't, they couldn't decide what it was, 22, 28, something like that. And look, half that 22 is the Vietnam veterans. Right. So we now have more Vietnam veterans who came home and killed themselves than the ones who actually died in the war. So we're talking way over 58,000. And Snow, we passed that number years ago. Right. I think I read something recently. In fact, after I had spoken with you before, I read something to the effect of hundred and almost like 130 or so thousand uh, Vietnam yeah. veterans have, have committed suicide. Suicide, yeah. We like almost doubled it. Right. And the thing is, with the American population, most people see everybody got a line that even they won't cross. And for most Americans, when it comes to veterans and veteran care and stuff like that, you know, that's that's a that's a deal breaker for them. Like, uh uh-uh, uh, we, we, we take care of our veterans. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So this this whole thing is this is not sitting I I could tell you right now, just by talking to folks and stuff like this. This is so not sitting well with the American people. This whole thing with veterans, they're not liking it at all. So when I'm in that state house, see, they talk to me different than they talk to you. Right. It's just different. And because I'm, because I'm, and, and the thing is, is that I work directly for General David Petraeus, Admiral Mike Mullins, General Rick Lynch, Air Marshal Dusty Miller. Major General Agner Rokas, Major General Anthony Kukolo, Brigadier General Phillips. I, like, when I say work with them, I was on their comms package. I've seen these men pushing pins. I've listened to these men make some hellified decisions that are very, very scary. And so you cannot put a little black boy from Trenton, New Jersey, in a room on a continuous basis with that caliber of mind and think he ain't going to pick up something. Right. It don't work that way. Yeah, well, clearly you were given the floor to speak. Clearly they respected you enough to allow you to present the case for this, and you were successful. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, well, the thing is, is that you understand, like, 
the one thing, regardless of how folks may feel about Chris Christie, and I mean, you know, I have my own feelings, but I won't. Uh, the one thing I won't do is I'm not going to entirely get on a soapbox and kick that man's back in because understand something. When you're sitting in that chair, the decisions that you have to make, my God, your decision making become real different when you in that. Like, I can say whatever I want because I am not the governor. You understand what I'm saying? Right. But when you become the governor, man. Yeah, you have a lot to it's answer to. Make your hair turn white. Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> to answer to, and a lot of policy to answer yeah. to. A lot of campaign supporters you have to. <laughs> I mean, often we ridicule the campaign contributors, but the fact is that people can't win elections without them. Unfortunately, there so, you go. I mean, like because we're where we are, in particular with this cannabis legislation here in New Jersey, this is one thing of ten thousand other things our governor has to think about. Right. And the thing is, is that, unfortunately, you know, our industry is in a state of chaos. But here's the thing. This is the beauty of it all. We're looked at as a state. We are looked at as somewhat of a unicorn right now because we are legislatively legalizing cannabis. And that's a big, this is different than it being some kind of a ballot referendum. Right. And when you look at, the when you look at the quality of leadership and understand, I just told you what my measuring sticks for leadership are. Right. Okay. When you look at and that, when I look at our current governor, you know, I sleep better at night. I pray for him too, but I sleep a whole lot better knowing this man is in because I understand. Like he has to have that vision. He's trying to right a major wrong in the state of New Jersey. Yeah. The the ACLU released a report that last year the state of New Jersey has been arresting 25,000 people a year for marijuana possession. And majority of them, two-thirds of them look like me. So we have a police culture issue. Yeah. Well, nationwide, it's one, uh, it's, you're four times more likely to be arrested for Minor drug offenses or, you know, anything mm-hmm. as well, but minor mm-hmm. drug offenses, especially, you know, possession mm-hmm. expenses, you're four times more likely um, mm-hmm. if you're a person of color than if you are a white kid from the suburbs. So but here's the, the, the interesting thing, is, in particular when it comes to New Jersey, is that the majority of the state, uh, remember I told you, can uh, consumer education of the consumer is paramount here. Right. Um, the thing is, is that most people, particularly communities of color, are not aware how advanced we are in this conversation as a state and yeah. don't understand, really understand the difference, you know, like the, the black guy that is the cannabis industry when it comes to minority inclusion, when it comes to women, you know what I'm saying? It, when it comes to all, like these are things that, that the state is just now, you know, uh, becoming aware of. Now, if you want to take the cannabis legalization effort in New Jersey and turn it into a television series, okay, Snowden, you and I, we're on season eight, episode two. The state is on season one, episode four. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, like I, I travel the state, you know, trying to, you know, give these different analogies. And it's like, hey, spoiler alert, it's not a gateway drug. That's season three, episode seven. It'll blow your mind. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, like, hey, look, I got the iPhone 10. Y'all still using beepers. Uh-uh. C- come on. Come on. Come <laughs> yeah, I get with the program. I mean, that whole, there's, you know, multiple generations that are alive today who grew up with Just Say No, who grew up with yep. with the reefer madness, you know, propaganda, which was the most brilliant uh, marketing campaign ever. Yeah, it worked wonderful. For 80 years. <laughs> yes, yes. And yeah. mind you, I'm one of the plaintiffs in the Jeff Sessions lawsuit, and we're uh, appealing. Right. You know, um, and what we learned is that, you know, one of the things that we, you know, we offered up was an argument was knowing that, you know, the Nixon administration purposely used cannabis and heroin in order to target African-American and hippies. Yeah. They wanted the Black Panther Party and they wanted the hippies. Right, because they were and against they, they were it. against the war. They were against uh, Nixon's exactly. administration at that time. They were the peace. Exactly. Nicks. Yeah. Exactly. And so 
to give you a, a straight up assessment in terms of what I've seen as a briefing, you know, because I'm in brief mode right now, having been through this state and also traveled, you know, been to Denver. I uh, escorted a number of elected officials from New Jersey um, to Las Vegas, where we toured a cultivating site, a couple of retail sites, um, and, and had some really meaningful discussions regarding the legislation here in New Jersey. Um, having done all these things, you know, um, the uh, communities of color, like our biggest opponents in this right now is the New Jersey Black Caucus. They're, I'm not saying opponent. I shouldn't say opponents. They're just, uh, they're, they're very slow and their inability to engage in this process um, is, is, is been terrible, to say the least. How much do you think um, that has to do with the fear of the stigma still? Like it's it's a form of PTSD. They're suffering from PTSD over the illegality of the plan. Right, but also, you, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say when you think about the illegality of the plan, look at what has happened. It has ruined lives. The illegality of the plan has killed people, has broken up homes. It has sent, the illegality of the plan has sent people to jail. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. The illegality, not the plant, just its the illegality. illegality. Right. So, so, and there's, and, 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 and to be honest with you, the hardest group of people to talk to, to educate on this is the black church people. They are the worst by far. And it is what's helped. It's why they, it's why as a community, we are having a hard time engaging. And this is a, and the thing is, is that considering that we'll be the second state to legislatively legalize cannabis, and this is an industry that's been built on our backs in our lifetime based on those numbers from the ACLU, you're going to build this industry on my back and then turn around, make a buck off of it and lock me out. And our inability to engage in this conversation is to our detriment as a community. That's just being honest. Yeah, it, and so, it uh, makes sense, though. You know, it, it really does yeah. make sense because, you know, they've been... How it been, came to be, yeah. It's, they've been bitten by cannabis because yeah. of the illegality, as you said. But also it, with the Black Caucus, you know, in trying yeah. to uplift a sector of our population into mm-hmm. a respectable place, whatever the perceptions are that the government had created around cannabis for so many years, I mean, for the Black Caucus to go against what is considered by general populace to be acceptable or respectable, it, it totally makes sense, you know, because yeah. they don't want to further diminish any kind of perception at all. By Well, see, yeah. the thing is, though, Snowden, is that, you know, folks like us, you know what I'm saying, you and I already know this. That was season four, episode seven, eight, nine. <laughs> yeah. See, in season eight, episode two, we're talking steam. We're talking import, export, globalization. You know what I'm saying? Science, technology, engineering, art, and math is in full swing. Actually, steam started in season seven. Right. That's where we at. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, Everything you just said, you know what I'm saying, we've known that, we've analyzed it, we've done the the lessons learned, we've done all of that. That was, you know, like, that was like a couple of seasons ago. Right. What we have to do is, and the thing is, is that this is, what this requires is a macro level way of thinking. Something that, as a community, we haven't really been good at. Mm Mm-hmm. I know you can't really say anything, but I can. I can I can speak on both ends, both as as a member of the community and also from an from an observation, like stepping out and looking at the man. I'm talking to the man in the mirror. Yeah. But understand that, you know, like based on my on my life experiences and seeing things, because I mean, in all honesty, you know, like ask yourself this. No, I mean, have, how many people can really say they took part in building a country? I can. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I, you know, when I think about it, well, wait a minute, because see, in 2005, when George Bush was giving his State of the Union address and he talked about, you know, what was happening in Baghdad, yeah. that was us. That was our unit. You see what I'm saying? That was our mission. We were actually carrying that out. Right. So, under, like I, so seeing where we are now and recognizing and seeing these great men 
and being around them, spending time walking up and down inside that Pentagon. I worked at the Pentagon for a couple years. Right. I'm used to seeing things. I'm, the way I'm used to seeing things is different. You know, I remember General Schoolmaker up at the Pentagon. I remember uh, Sergeant Major Preston. Understand something. My job was just to make it so that these people can call home whenever they felt like it. My actual career profession is DOD telecommunications. I'm a signal guy. Right. That's how I ended up in the room with these people. And I remember thinking to myself, being around these men a lot of times, like, thank God I ain't them making those, making, having to make those decisions. Being around those men made me realize that I did not want to be a general. Mm-mm. That's a lot to ask. Right. Yeah, they, had, you, they uh, carry the weight of the world on their shoulders. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, is that right now, we are the only ones who will ever experience the end of prohibition on cannabis in New Jersey. Not our children. Too young. They can't do anything. Right. Not our parents. Too old. They can't do anything. It's us. And, this, and the fact that the industry as a whole, like, something like 75% of the upper echelon ownerships and positions in this industry is occupied by middle-aged to older white men. That's not by design. That's an indicator of chaos. This industry is in such a state of chaos that that's where it ends up like that. Nah, see, we could bring order. By legislatively legalizing cannabis, we can mandate that minority inclusion take place. We can mandate that there be a fund. We can mandate automatic record expungement. We are not just talking about facilitating a, a cultural shift in how we view this plant, Snowden, but we're also talking about facilitating a massive, massive transfer of wealth. When you think about the logistics behind it, it's like, God, like we, we almost can't quantify. It can't be quantified. Right. But you want to be stuck on gateway drug. Okay, see? <laughs> this is how we end up being a butt of jokes. Yeah. This is well, how they be laughing at stuff like that. That was season four. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, the New Jersey State House, if they can get this done, right? Uh, full mm-hmm. legalization the right within, way. The, within the state, the right way, they will be setting a precedent for the rest of the country to follow. Exactly. And especially if it if it winds up being successful. But you you raised something just very briefly in what you just said mm-hmm. that I want to address, and that is that the immediate expungement of records. And unfortunately, that's not happening in a lot of the states that are already regulating cannabis. I mean, people are still walking Mm -hmm. around with felony convictions. And worse, I spoke with another veteran the other day who was saying that, you know, there's a huge problem when uh, a lot of these people decide to try cannabis, in, and especially in the states that haven't regulated or in the past before any states regulated, when they were caught with cannabis in their system, especially if they were on active duty or whatever, they were dishonorably discharged and they lost all benefits. And that is correct. To, if they went to jail, they on top of losing everything <laughs> that they worked so hard for, in the military, then now they're carrying around a felony record, which is making it nearly impossible for them to get a legitimate job. So that then, is correct, right? And non non veterans who experience, you know, the felony conviction of having a joint in their pocket, you know, they're also barred from getting a good job. And in some instances, they've lost their voting rights. They've lost all sorts of things. They're really taken out of society in a way that is just so unconscionable in my view. And again, the PTSD over the illegality of the plan. Right. You know, like, A friend of mine the other day, he had an epiphany. He, you know, I'm not going to say any names, but he he busted his 15 or 16 year old son smoking weed, and he went off on his on his son, right? And he said, in the midst of going off, he said it finally dawned on him that all of his yelling and screaming about his son smoking weed did more damage than the plant could ever do. Right. The shaming of it. Yup. He said, I realized I did more damage 
to my son than what that plant could ever do mm-hmm. just by what I just did. It was a light bulb moment for him. Yeah. You know, I said, yeah, I said, there you go, bro. Yeah. There you go. Welcome to the new world. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and so multiply that shaming by what it must feel like to have to go through the the court system, be incarcerated for years. And, you know, if you don't have, have to, you know what? We don't even have to imagine. We right. got 25,000 uh, real cases every year that drive home the point. Yeah. And, and that's and it, been average here. Right. And since the war on drugs began, more than 2.2 million incarcerations with See? felony convictions um, for marijuana. I mean, it, it, it is, yeah. it, it's ridiculous when you think about it. But, you know, when you follow the money too, look at who's profited from it. You know, not only yeah, the obvious, yeah. the pharmaceuticals and the alcohol oh, yeah, industry, the but the private industrial prison, complex. Private yeah, prisons. We, yep. Yeah, listen, w- when you talk cannabis legalization in New Jersey, you are messing with some old money. Right. Because the pharmaceutical industries have been here for generations. When you talk about cannabis legalization in New Jersey, you also messing with some long money because the alcohol industry has been operating in this state for generations. And when you talk about cannabis legalization in New Jersey, you also messing with some new kind of money, but not that, not so old money. And that's the prison industrial complex. It's blown up. So, there's some industries whose bottom line we are really, really messing with. That's the reason why the NFL won't touch it. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason why the NFL will not touch it, and they yeah. like to play dumb. Right. Well, and if like, you think like, about it, it makes no sense. Yeah, like veterans, the former pro football players are right. one of the one of the groups that need cannabis to protect their brains from the injuries. Of yeah. You know, they, it's like, they need it. They need it way more than I do yeah. because their brains suffer those hits on a continuous basis. Can yeah. you imagine? Like there's a football team. I think it's the Atlanta Falcons. They passed out something like 6,000 pills for oh, yeah. uh, in one season. Right. For 53 guys, 6,000 uh-huh. in one uh, What? I know. Well, it, just, it really makes you think. And yes. and when they're seriously injured, the pills like triple for each player. And, you know, no wonder so many come out addicts, yep. addicted to opiates. Yep. And now that they have these restrictions on how many opiates you can get, now that you've made a nation of addicts on opiate medicine, yep. now you, yep. you know, what are they going to do? They go to the next best thing, heroin, which is basically all the opiates are. That's what it's they've been doing anyway. Yeah, they've been... Legalized heroin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you see these stories about these pharmaceutical companies with 22 million doses going to a town of 40,000. Right. It's like, well, I try to tell folks, you know, like, and look, they passing them pills out up at the VA like it's candy. I mean, it ain't no joke. Fentanyl, right. oxycodone, Percocet, you name it. Boom, boom, boom. And in some cases, they actually mailing the stuff to you. And not to you, mention the antipsychotics like Haldol and the right. you know, benzos like Marinol, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which, which, you yeah. know, not only make you sick in the liver, but, you know, they create dependence. Like, you know, if you try to yeah. wean off of those drugs, you actually experience harsher symptoms than you had to begin with when they prescribed them to you. I mean, it's just a, it's a vicious cycle. Yes. So imagine, because I just like everything we're saying, you know, you can take out Trenton, you could take out North, you could just take out whatever name of your town, just put your own town's name in it and it'll all apply. Right. So what that and what that all adds up to is a lack of, of quality leadership. So New Jersey being an op, having being what I call the unicorn, we actually have an opportunity to bring leadership and order to an industry out of control. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. I'm sorry. To an industry in its baby stages that can, and, and, and also set forth, and the states that already done it and are trying to improve and everything, we can give them a point of reference. Right. By how we do it. You know, right now, 
I live in Trenton, New Jersey. And in Trenton, New Jersey, within a 100-square-mile radius, it's known I got access to 7 million people. Right. I live next to the city, the number one cannabis-consuming city in the country. And I'm 55 miles from New York. I'm 30 miles from Philadelphia. Right. One of the largest markets in the country. And mind you, two states that only have medical marijuana and they don't even allow for flour. Right. So what do you think is going to happen when we go live? Yeah, you're See basically you're going to eliminate at least 10% of that population incarceration. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Yeah. See, that's a lot. And, and, and mind you, that's a... See? <laughs> See what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's a lot. <laughs> Season 8, episode <laughs> in the in the saga, we we really we really should do a a saga, a cannabis yeah. movement. I mean, yeah. Well, you know, think of how I far mean, we've come just in the last five years. I mean, we went from having you know a handful you could count them on your fingers of states that actually regulated cannabis for uh, medical use only, and you mm-hmm. know of that it was basically just for you know children with epilepsy and. And a handful, you know, uh, nausea caused by chemotherapy. And now, I mean, and now look at where we at. Right. More than half of the United States. And I think people are waking up. The only people that are not awake right at the moment are the people running the Department of Justice, the DEA, Mm -hmm. um, our Mm -hmm. current presidential administration, although he used to be on board, but not anymore, apparently. And and then there are some and a lot of uh, a lot of state and local officials. Listen. If you if you still say if you are still saying gateway drugs, you just dated yourself. Right. Like remember I said that was season one, episode three. Like where are you at? Yeah. Whenever well, it's already you know, been like proven tra- scientifically. Yeah, like like only... that's what yeah. yeah, to the trained eye and to the trained ear, whenever we hear gateway drug we always look at you like what year are you right well we don't even talk that way no more not only (laughs) not only has science proven that it's not a gateway drug science has proven that it's actually an exit drug and uh, thank you yeah and i that was the season five episode (laughs) two you know what i'm saying exactly like like, come on yeah yeah well i i actually interviewed a doctor a few months ago, Dr. Donna Ballin, who is working with pro athletes and cannabis and basically left her ordinary practice to do this full time. And she educates people about how this is really helping athletes from that perspective. But she said in her experience, even before the science was, you know, debunking the gateway drug, she, she noticed that the people who she worked with back when she was still practicing the opiate medicine for sports injuries, she said she noticed that the people who were regular cannabis users were less likely to become addicted to the opiates that she prescribed, and and they needed a lower dosage of the opiates uh-huh. to take care of you know a broken uh-huh. leg. So uh-huh. now they're starting to see <laughs> that people who are addicted to these opiates, when they start consuming cannabis, their cravings for the opiates actually decrease, not the other way around. So there you go. Uh huh. Uh huh. Listen, you know, you used to not be able to say this, <laughs> but now I can confidently tell people like you probably know more people who who consume cannabis than don't. Right. <laughs> and some are still closeted, because... although, you know, you're starting to see yeah. people admit to it now. Yeah. Politicians are no longer ostracized from office because they admit to having consumed yeah. cannabis at some point in their lives. Now they can be open about it and say, well, of course I did. And then, you yeah. know, you look at perfectly respectable people in high positions of power saying that, yes, they have consumed cannabis and yes, their kids consume cannabis. But yet yeah, they're so, still saying no to a law you know that there's a bit of a problem. Right. See, it's the oxymoronic politics. Right. Which is on full display damn near at every single level of government. Because mind you, while you're saying all this stuff about why I shouldn't be here and all this, you know, all this wrong information, you're saying it to me with a straight-ass face while standing in the middle of an opioid abuse and addiction epidemic. Really? Yeah. Really? 
Yeah, and then furthermore, and then, there's and no one who's educated mm -hmm. about cannabis as an exit drug working on the opiate council. <laughs> this is where the, the like, you know, like, th these are things that I just can't, you know, like, I can't get past because, you know, it's just like when I see, you know, I see a bunch of men sitting and having a conversation about women's rights and you ain't got not one woman in this conversation. Yeah. Like, really? And the thing is, they do that like it ain't nothing. Like, it's oh, yeah. like, yes, that's what we do. It's like, really? See, that's why y'all got to go. Metaphorically yeah, speaking, yeah, they, like, need, yeah. they need to relinquish their seats to people who are more aligned with the... Yes. A lot of these people, you know, um, need to evolve into an advisory position. And get and and no longer be in a decision making position. Yeah. And 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 that's just to say, you know, like it's not that you know um, you should completely go away and disappear, but you shouldn't be in a decision making position right now because your inability to um, because you're stuck on season one and we in season eight. Well, and <laughs> and the other thing too, we don't have time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing too, Leo. I really believe this with all my heart. Citizens United needs to go away. We need election policy reform so desperately in this country, and unfortunately the people that are making the rules are the ones benefiting from Citizens United. They're the ones getting the campaign contributions. I mean, it used to be that corporations weren't considered to be people. And you didn't have that kind of influence in our politics. And I think that part of what could happen is term limits, because if Congress had term li limits the way that the presidency has term limits, then we would eliminate a lot of this. Well, see, that's the reason why the Trump presidency is the gift that keeps giving. And let me explain to you why. Because what Donald Trump and everyone subsequent, you know, when you look at the Senate, when you look at the Congress, everyone subsequent, <clears throat> they have all shown us that, you know, we're asleep at the wheel for a while. And now we don't woke up. See, I'm always looking at this as, and I'm thankful, you know, like, first of all, you know, I don't knock anybody for their politics because that's what I fought for. That's what every veteran and soldier who's on, on active duty right now, that is what we are fighting for. We are fighting for you to engage in this process however the, you should be. Now, understand something. The reason why I'm saying that is because I'm standing, I live in the capital city of New Jersey out of 58,000 people. The last time this city had an election, um, four years ago, out of 58,000 people who were of voting age, do you know how many actually voted, Snowden? No. Nine. Nine thousand. Wow. Out of 58. I think that you, that you, tide you. is changing, though. Um, well, see, that was four years ago. You see mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Now, that was uh, times were good. You had Barack Obama. You know, uh, people were, you know, who, whoever. A lot, of, a lot of people felt as though their vote didn't count. Yeah. This is, an, you know, 9,000 people voting. That's an indictment on every single minister, every single activist, every single city leader. The guy that became mayor of the capital city of New Jersey only needed 3,000 votes to be the mayor. We got, some, we got a woman on our city council who got more votes to be on the city council than Eric Jackson needed to be mayor. Now, what's that telling you? Right. See, that's bad. Yeah. That's bad. That's, that's, this is everybody's fault. Yeah. Everybody. Well, we and have, that 9,000, that's yeah. like mostly the old. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, th I find that really interesting. And a lot of the young people who would advocate for change are the most apathetic group of voters. And, you know, but that one of the things that recently we saw these kids from Parkland go to the. Yeah, the I was going to say, look at the kids in Parkland. And, you know, I think that they are energizing a new generation of people who want to see change, want to see logical governance, you know, governance that makes sense. They're not asking to remove your Second Amendment rights. They're asking for legislation that will help to keep them safe. And, right. you know, and, and with cannabis, you know, those of us who ad activate for cannabis, we're advocating for 
something that is going to keep our general population safe. And you as a veteran of all people know the price of fighting for freedom. And if, mm -hmm. if you have mm -hmm. to come back and you don't have the freedom to choose your own medicine, you know, how must that you make go. you and all of your brothers and sisters who are veterans feel? And this is what I'm trying to impart on the general public that listen to this show on a daily basis. Look, mm. you know, this is a medicine that can help to keep us safe. This can prevent 22 deaths a day by suicide of our veteran population, but even more, it can prevent the deaths of teenagers to 90-year-olds who are consuming opiates that are handed out like candy, as you said. Oh, you know? yeah. You see states that have comprehensive medical marijuana programs are seeing significant drops in the number of opioid use and addiction incidences. Right. And what you're also starting to see, too, is doctors are writing less and less scripts. Right. So so remember what I told you? Who bottom line we really affecting here? Yeah. See, this is some bad news. That's why you and then and, and then so what is how so how does that news counter? You you, you do stuff like oh I, if I'm Jeff Sessions I'm gonna tell all the prosecutors go for the death penalty and and, and we gonna renew. See, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. This is this is this is now you're creating more and more PTSD. Exactly. Then you got them doing stuff like you know deporting people, ICE and all that stuff, running up in schools. You know like and and the people they going after they even deported. An Iraqi war veteran, like come oh, on. Oh, I know. Like, like, yeah, but, but then, but then, you can't even pay the teachers in Oklahoma, right? But you can have a a, a thirty million dollar parade because you want one, right? You can't get those people in, in Puerto Rico. You can't get them they water. You can't get their power back and everything. But you want to have a parade, right? What about all them people up there in Michigan? Who don't but even have throw, clean water. <laughs> yeah, who don't even have clean water. Oh, but you want to go put guns in teachers' hands. See, yeah. our children are a direct reflection of us. Yeah. And every now and again, there's a generation that comes along that just bucks the whole trend. Right. Like, look what happened in the Civil Rights era. It was when those pictures of those kids being locked up and thrown in the jail, and we talking junior high and elementary kids. Right. They snatching them kids up down there in Birmingham, Bull Connor, and all that. And then y'all and and but you, you see what I'm saying? Now here's the thing: them kids was marching because they wanted equal rights and everything because of the color of their skin. Now these kids is marching because they just want to feel safe. But then you want to, but then you got people who attack these kids. See, something is off. Oh yeah, something is real off. Something ain't right. I don't care. Like, like, I, I, when I was growing up, if I would have hit my lips, say half the stuff that I hear some of these people say about these kids, my lips would have been like. Remember how Donald Duck used to get his bills slapped off? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. The way that, like, the violence, the way they coming at, and these are just kids who just want to be safe, Snowden. That's it. They want to be able to go to school and not fear being gunned down by some loony. Yeah, and now imagine, that we imagine have on our streets. Period. Yeah, and imagine being me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Imagine being me. I mean, hey, you can't even be in your grandmother's backyard on your cell phone without getting killed. Right. I mean, bad. Yeah. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Exactly. Like that's like that's what they do. That's I. I literally just had this conversation with my 11-year-old son the other day because he's gotten tall now. So he, I had to have that talk with him that he is no longer a cute little black boy anymore because of his height and everything. He's going to be a big, scary black guy. Right. And it's different for him than it is for his friends. I understand you want to, you know, I understand you want to, you know, buck at things or say whatever, whatever, but you can't do what they do. Because your the color of your skin has been has now been weaponized. Right, it really is just an epidemic of racism, and it does go rampant, terribly mm -hmm. unfortunate. When you look at that, you know the fact that I think Jesse Ventura was right. All consumption is medicinal. You know, we yeah. as as a nation, what this plant can do, it can right a mighty wrong, and also it can uh, it can help with things when it comes to look. Season eight, we also talking hemp production and stuff. Yeah. You know, that's the long money. 
you know, like these are the things that the science behind it all, I mean, come on, but nah, y'all want to be stuck on gateway drug. Well, I think, I think those days are coming to an end, but um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to touch on something really quickly because next week I'm actually going to be uh, speaking with a couple of people that are uh, co-plaintiffs in your lawsuit against Jeff Sessions. Jose. um, Actually, I, I hope that Jose can join us and I think he will. But um, we're going to be speaking to <laughs> we're going to be speaking to Alexis Bortel and her father. Um, oh, that is awesome! She is she is the twelve year old who mm-hmm. is also suing Jeff Sessions for her right to mm-hmm. use cannabis for epilepsy, and then also um, we'll be speaking to Lauren Rudick, who is one of the attorneys on girl. on the on yeah. the case from Hiller PC, the law firm. So um, I'm really excited. Those are some quality guests. Yes, I think You're, so You too. should be. Uh, your audience, I hope your audience uh, really tunes in. Um, they are so not going to want to miss listening to them. Um, you know, um, Alexis's mom and dad were actually in court when we uh, had our hearing. And I just saw Lauren, like, last week. Oh, You know, good. and, yeah, they're, like, um, you did good. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. very excited to hear from them. And, you know, I mean, I, I think that it takes veterans, uh, sports figures. We've also interviewed uh, Marvin Washington on this show a number of times. And, you know, he's part I just of talked to him a couple hours ago. Oh, you did? Okay, well, you can tell yeah. him that I yep. said hello. I actually, I reached out to him. I don't know if he's available or not, but certainly it'll be a pretty interesting show. And... You know, people are going to want to hear about this. And unfortunately, the first round of it, there was a dismissal from the court. But I know that you guys are taking Mm -hmm. it to the next level, and it really needs to have its day in court for sure. You know what? Marvin Washington said one of the most profound statements that I've ever heard in regards to the cannabis legalization and industry effort. And he said, we are the most unorganized truth against a very organized lie. Yeah. And it was like, damn. Yeah, well, you know what? That's okay. what we're trying to fix. Because yeah. really what yeah. it boils down to is education. Because, you know, the message gets uh, mixed up regionally, I think. And also um, by sector as well. I mean, certain people want cannabis legalization for one purpose uh, some want it for another purpose and depending on what region you live in the purpose could be considered to be taboo or not and there is I would no, agree with that yeah sure. there's no consistency across state lines and that goes for mm-hmm. the business of it too so but I think as more and more states adopt regulation the federal government's going to have to jump on board if you guys win this lawsuit against Jeff Sessions then you know it'll be the end of schedule one for cannabis for any because it does not belong in schedule one so mm-hmm. you know we'll see how it goes but I agree. I think that I'll take it a step further and say that um, I don't think you'll be able to be president of the United States without being for federally legalizing cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. What is it now? Um, 70 to 80 percent of the American public thinks that full legalization is just fine. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's growing. It's growing as more and, and more yeah. people learn about and, it. And here's the thing. Again, one of the reasons why the Trump presidency is the gift that keeps giving because every day, every time I turn around, this dude is doing something that's creating more and more PTSD, you know, reasons why you need to be medicated. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like, like what happened to the Dow the other day? Now we're about to get into a trade war with China on steel. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, these are all things like this. Like, yo, like a lot of people, you need something. What you don't need is these opioids because that's what the traditional way of treating post-traumatic stress disorder but now especially here in new jersey you know this is a very very unique opportunity that only unfortunately not everybody understands you know i'm saying what is before us because we're in our own way and the thing is i'm coming from the perspective i've been to war i've seen the worst that man can do to man on a continuous basis and when that happens to you, your value system changes real quick. Yeah. It's just different. It becomes different. 
And so, but what I'm, I'm, and so I'm not interested in getting rich. Now, what I am interested in is I'm interested in seeing my state get a win. I'm interested in seeing my city get a win. Yeah. I'm interested in seeing my people get a win. Well, and restoring and, their rights to healthy and yeah, happy. Now, I'm not a, yeah, I'm, I'm not an anomaly at all. I'm just a veteran. Well, I wouldn't That's call you it. just a veteran. I would say thank you for your service and your continued service on this issue. You know, Leo, you are to be commended for all of the work that you've done. And there's so much that you've accomplished. And I know that there's still more that you are going to accomplish. And with more people like you really stepping outside of the comfort zone to advocate for this cause, I mean, it really is going to create, I think, a better America in the long run. I think so too. Yeah, I agree. The, I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. we're 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 we're. Uh, that's the thing about us veterans. We're comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and for all the division that was created during the 2016 election, this mm-hmm. issue is one that can bring people together. And I think that, uh-huh. and and the more ridiculous um, policy tweets that we hear about day after day, the more that those happen and and attempt to divide us, it seems that there's a groundswell of unity that's happening across the country right now. And it it really is sort of catalyzing this this movement of, okay, wait a minute, we can't just be railroaded here. We need to step out and do what's right. So I'm hoping Mm -hmm. that that is infectious and that, you know, hearing people like you will inspire other people to really get involved in this particular fight, because this is one this is one issue that can certainly uh, bring a lot of people together, create a lot of healing, solve a lot of the problems that we have from our criminal justice system all the way down to our environment. If we could just get this plant legalized. So with that, Leo, I am so sorry. We have to call it a close for this show. It always goes by. Wow, this was deep. Yeah, this was deep. This was good. (laughs) Thank you. This was a therapy session, for real. (laughs) Well, you know what? I am so grateful to you for being on. So before we close, I have a couple of announcements. First, Um, I just want to make sure that you check out events on thecannabisreporter.com. The World World Medical Cannabis Conference and Expo is taking place in Pittsburgh on the week of April 13th. I will be there talking on the topic of hemp, along with a world-class panel of hemp experts. You don't want to miss it. Secondly, I'm very proud to announce that we are launching a new section on the Cannabis Reporter dedicated to veterans. Please be sure to check out the videos, Veterans Giving Voice to this important cause, and one of the first that you will hear is of Leo Bridgewater, so you don't want to miss that. So once again, I'd personally like to thank my guest, Leo Bridgewater, for sharing his insights and vast knowledge with us today. If you want to learn more about the work that he's doing, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com. Click podcast to find today's episode. I will post his bio along with information and link to his website so that you can join his fight. We have a lot of others to thank also. First, I'd like to express our gratitude for our radio sponsors, Alpine Miracle, Health Terra, and Compassionate Certification Centers. We certainly couldn't be doing this without you. I'd also like to thank Eric Goodall, the composer of our beautiful theme song, Evergreen. Our engineer, Ty, and the team here at DigiLabs for making us shine. I'd also like to thank our program directors at XRQK Radio Network and Society Bites Radio for distributing our show so you can hear it. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening around the nation. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, inviting you to join me again next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Join us at the World Medical Cannabis Conference and Expo at the Pittsburgh David L. Lawrence Convention Center, April 12th through the 14th. 
and meet investors, networkers, new products, and professional athletes. Ex-NHL star Philadelphia Flyers Riley Cote, Super Bowl champion Marvin Washington, and more. Register today for early bird pricing at cccregister.com or by calling 888-316-9085. Again, that's cccregister.com or 888-316-9085. Presented by Compassionate Certification Centers.